ready for another episode of Wanderings and Wool Gathering? Good, here's Foggy. Welcome to Wanderings and Wool Gathering, episode 55, proudly hosted by North Central Indiana's Rock 98.5. Tonight, we're dedicating our show to Nine Inch Nails. I can't wait to talk about it, so let's get started. I'm Foggy, and with me as always is JPP, T-Bags, Metalhead Monday, and the educator, Joe Reif. Good <laughs> evening, fellas. Good evening. Hello. 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 Tony, are you Hello. beaming? What? Are you beaming? We've, we've dedicated a show just to you. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm so happy. That's the topic. It's just, you know. I know. <laughs> You're going to cheat anyway, so don't worry about it. Yeah. I tried to stay within the lines. boy. All right. JPP, we have a special guest tonight. We do. We do. I'd like to bring on someone who uh, I've interacted with through the years. Uh, he was a mentor and someone I do look up to quite a bit. Uh, Dr. Michael Pounds. Um, I will call you Mike, uh, given this, the circumstances here. We're all friends and talking about music. But uh, I want to go over just a, a little bit of what I found on your bio and feel free to confirm or deny everything um, <laughs> as you see fit. But uh, Dr. Michael Pounds is a composer and assistant director of the music technology program at Ball State University. His focus in computer music composition and collaborative intermedia projects have provided him opportunities to have his music performed in many parts of the world. And he's also spent time in his career as a mechanical engineer and is wired to use his mind to apply technology creatively in his works. I've had the pleasure of taking many courses with Dr. Pounds during my time at Ball State, and he's here to share some stories of a time when he enrolled in a recording class with a studio employee who we've all come to know. That employee was Trent Reznor. <laughs> Michael Pounds, how are you, sir? I'm fine. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we're great. Thanks for coming on. It really means a lot. And, uh, you know, we, I've told my friends about, you know, you uh, from my time at the, the school, especially as I was learning things, I was a rather eager student. And, you know, mm -hmm. he put up with me asking a ton of questions and kind of being the guy, hey, bounce, bounce, bounce. What about this? And that's what it was thing. a good student. Good student. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. Nonetheless, uh, you know, heard a lot of stories and stuff through the years. And I thought it would be awesome if you could come on board and, you know, share some of those more in depth when, you know, lectures weren't hindering the time to, to mm -hmm. share these tales, if you will. So, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself from your perspective on uh, how you came to become a, a student at that recording class and what you were doing and whatnot? Yeah, yeah. Well, this is a long time ago. So um, <laughs> I was I'm not a I'm not a young person these days, <laughs> uh, but uh, I was I was in my 20s then. And um, and I was not uh, not yet a music student. I was uh, I was an engineer at the time. Um, uh, I did a mechanical engineering degree, and, and at that time I was working at NASA in, uh, in Cleveland. It used to be called the Lewis Research Center, now it's called the Glenn Research Center. Um, but I was also simultaneously uh, contemplating a, a career move, because um, I really wanted to be in music one way or another. So, um, you know, I was looking, I was playing in bands, I was playing bass, uh, uh, doing a little home recording, that sort of thing. And uh, I saw an ad probably in the, the local entertainment newspaper um, for a recording class. And it was uh, met on Saturdays for like 10 weeks, like six hours at a time. And it was at a, a local recording studio called the, the Right Track. And uh, so I thought, well, that sounds pretty cool. And I, uh, 
I called him up and and signed up for it and uh yeah and so uh so I went in it, it was a uh, you know it was a downtown recording studio and in, in an old uh, old building in Cleveland called the the film building I think that's what it was called I used to used to have like uh movie movie studios in there and uh, and so this recording studio was was in this old uh old uh, uh movie studio of some sort there was a there was a theater in there uh sort of uh, part of the space they were renting and uh, and and yet trent Reznor was the recording teacher and at the time uh this was before pretty hate uh pretty hate machine came out and so nobody knew who he was i didn't know who he was um but uh but yeah so that was that was how i got into it so you were in there kind of getting immersed with the recording technology, kind of the ins and out. I take it reel to reel was still a big prominent feature. Or was it computer based uh, at that time? Uh, well, yeah, that's, a, that's interesting, you know, from, you know, cause I've been teaching all this stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, it was interesting looking back at the technology then they had a um, two inch 24 track tape machine, big analog console. Um, they did have a computer in there and this is uh so this would, this would have been late '80s, and uh, you know, digital synths came out in the like the Yamaha DX7 came out in the early like in 1983. MIDI came out around then, and so um, things were like big into MIDI in those days. So, so there was a computer. It was running uh, what is now called Digital Performer, and that was uh, then called just Performer because it just did MIDI. It didn't do digital audio. And so they were uh, triggering a lot of uh, samplers and MIDI synths and they had electric, electric drums, electric drum kits. And, and, uh, but yeah, everything was recorded onto the, uh, the two inch reel to reel tape. Something I took out of the beginning of that was like, who knew NASA had research facilities mm -hmm. in Cleveland? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it was right by the airport. And uh, so I used to have to drive out to the <clears throat> airport every day and, and, uh, the jets would be taking off, you know, over the buildings where we were working, making a lot of noise. You know, it was, uh, they, they did a lot of, uh, you know, NASA does a lot, uh, not just, uh, not just sort of space stuff, but they do a lot of, uh, general, you know, aviation stuff and, and all kinds of different research. And, and so, yeah, they, they, they had that, I guess, I guess that, that, uh, facility was probably built in the, you know, definitely it, it, it really grew up in the sixties when they were in the, in the space race and everything. So, yeah. How yeah, did it, your um, how did your mechanical engineering background benefit you with musical engineering? Yeah, that's a well, that's an interesting question. Um, obviously, you know, there's a lot of technology, and a lot of it isn't necessarily mechanical. Um, but I did programming and things like that uh, back then, um, and uh, so a lot of uh, I did uh, uh, school structural analysis we made computer models of structures and things like that and uh, so i was you know used to working with computers and obviously that's mainly what i'm doing and what i have been doing for for all these years um so i think it um you know it doesn't directly apply to music but when you're when you're working so much with technology you know it really gives you a a, a stronger background to deal with programming to deal with electronics. I took electrical engineering classes and things like that. Um, and lately, um, I'm really big into uh, building instruments. I've been building uh, uh, like cigar box guitars and guitars out of tuna cans and things like that. And 
and uh, uh, get into uh, human computer interface design, uh, things like that. So I guess I've I've never really gotten completely out of the engineering. I guess I guess although I really wanted to be a musician, um, you know that part of me just uh, it's still there. Yes, and that was I got to add. You know, as my time as a student, that's one of the things that certainly fired me up was thinking outside of the normal strumming guitar, power chord, distortion pedal, that sort of thing. Thinking about layers, thinking about ways to manipulate something that may have started out organically and shifting it into something completely unreal. And you know, as fans of Nine Inch Nails, we kind of hear elements of that, especially you know with Ghosts and certain releases where things get more noisy and. Ex- experimental too so it was kind of a a perfect match for what i was wanting to pursue at that time with uh you know sound design and 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 like if you will uh one thing i wanted to ask too so you you jumped into these recording classes then you essentially you know he was not known to anybody as far as you know being having high notoriety i know he had probably some uh previous tv appearances with one of his synth pop bands before then, but you know, mm-hmm. he was you know, fledging, fledgling musician like many of us. And uh, so I guess one of my questions was, what was his attitude like uh, teaching the class? Did it, was it just something he was just kind of grinding through or did he seem pretty passionate about uh, conveying information? No, I think he was into it. Um, you know, he was, uh, he was, he knew all the, all the stuff, you know, he was, a, he was a good teacher. He really knew how to use the studio. Um, you know, the, the story, the story he he told at the time was that, um, you know, he got got using the studio. Well, he got into the studio and and basically he made a deal with the owner that uh, you know they were dealing with all this MIDI stuff and he was really good at that. And so he offered to sort of organize all their all their MIDI and 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 that sort of thing. And and in exchange, you know, the owner gave him some free studio time. You know, like on Sunday mornings and things like that when when uh, when it wasn't being used. And uh, and that was basically when he recorded Pretty Hate Machine, and uh, and he was into it. You know, he he was a he he knew a lot of stuff. Um, he was very very serious, very smart, uh, very obviously uh, technically talented person. And uh, yeah, I think he, he was a good teacher. Awesome. At the end of it, did he smash any instruments or? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a. <laughs> I, I think that's a really good question because, um, you know, I, I didn't know him as a performer then, although he would talk about what he was doing. Um, mm-hmm. I, um, I would also spend time going to the studios outside of the class. You know, the, the owner was, um, you know, open to and invited the students to, to come and hang out and assist with sessions and things like that. And I spent a lot of time there. I would, uh, I would go to work you know, do my, do my day job. And then in the evenings I'd, I'd call up and I'd say, what's going on tonight? You know, mind if I come by and I would just, you know, drive down there and, and hang out for a couple hours and, and see what was going on and sometimes assist a little bit. And, um, and so I did this for a while after the class was over. So I, I got to know him. And during that time, um, you know, he was actually actively shopping around for record labels and stuff like that. And so, so I, I got a, a chance to, to learn more about what he was doing. Um, but eventually, you know, I was still working at NASA when he came out with the album and started touring and things like that. And so he came through Cleveland and played one of the smaller venues. And I went, he opened, uh, I think, well, he, he opened for maybe uh, uh, P. 
Peter Murphy. I don't know if you if you guys know. Yeah, know who that is. Know Peter. Yeah. 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 So so I went to that show. That was the first time you know I I saw him play, and I, I had the this what's the CD when the CD came out, and uh, yeah, it was it was uh, it was funny seeing him on stage doing all the on stage antics. You know, like you know he would grab his guitar player by the hair and kind of yank him around on stage and throw the equipment around and spit beer on the audience and stuff like that. And, <laughs> and, uh, and of course he wasn't anything like that in the studios, you know, he was all, he was all business and, and, uh, and pretty, pretty low key, pretty kind of serious, quiet guy. <laughs> and so it was kind of shocking to see him uh, perform that way. But I, I obviously listening to the music, you know, there's, there's some of that buried in there, you know, uh, even yeah. when he's in the studio. Well, that was a great answer to a question I wasn't sure was actually a question, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but I do have a I did have a question since you have that kind of like engineering and musician mind going, yeah. um, and you and you took classes and things like that. Where do you see in today's like culture as far as music, all of the accessibility to make music, and is it is it an open world of possibilities, or is it so many possibilities that it shuts shuts people down? Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think it well, I think it's a little bit of both really. Um you know, you you have to know what to do with the stuff. I mean, there's so much that you can do now. I mean, there's so much I can do in my iPad that, you know, I couldn't even dream of doing back then. Cuz back then I was recording with like a four track cassette studio and I had my first synth that had a little built-in sequencer in it and and uh and you know, to to record more than four tracks, you had to record three of the tracks and bounce them down onto the fourth track, and then re-record over your original tracks. And and it was uh, you know really bad quality. And now you can do so much, you know, just with an iPad or or on your laptop. You know, you can have sixty tracks running with plugins on every track, and uh, free synth stuff. And and uh, and so there really are a lot of possibilities. And and. Uh, and there's so many different kinds of software you can use for manipulating sound and for uh, doing your own music programming and, and uh, uh, you know, whatever. Um, so, yeah, the, the sky's the limit. But then you have to know what to do with it. You know, you have to have some artistic vision and you have to have the, the ability to uh, know how to make, you know, well-crafted uh, music and also artful music out of it. And that's that's the trick. You, you can have all the tools, but that's not going to make you a great artist. So you mentioned, you know, the two personas, you know, he's kind of a serious guy in the studio. I know it's a long time back there, but Quite a know, long somebody, time there. somebody that's that intense, something's going to stick. What is something that you learned about being in the studio, about creating that you learned from Trent that you still think about today? Well, I can, I can remember, for example, just simple things, not simple things, but they're, they're complex things, but we take them for granted maybe if you're, as a listener. But just like, um, like using a compressor to, to shape a, a drum sound, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a thing that, that isn't obvious when you, when you use that kind of technology, but, but how you can shape the attack of a drum, how you can shape the sustain of a drum, um, that sort of thing. And, and I, I, you know, I still teach the same thing to my students now, but, but I learned that from, from him. And, and, uh, you know, I was listening to these CDs that I have around here and I was listening to all the, all the different sounds. And, uh, and, you know, I think the, the CDs are really well-crafted and you can hear those, that kind of 
you know, a, a shaping of those drum sounds and things like that. It's, 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 it, if you, if you know what to listen for, you know, you, you can tell he's, he's really uh, making those drums really snap and really, and really have a lot of power. Um, and, and, uh, and yeah, so, so just those kind of subtleties that uh, even in a, in a 10 week class, you know, he was, he was helping the students learn about those things that, uh, yeah, that 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 some people don't don't learn after doing that stuff for years. I can attest to that. I remember hearing pretty hate machine. The kick drum really has a nice edge to it, and I had a little Elisa's SR16 drum machine at the time, and I remember mm -hmm. trying to get that to really translate on my four track. Yeah, of course, that was all I had: drum machine, guitar, and the and the four track. And so it didn't nearly carry like what he did. And, and you know, now in hindsight, I certainly get the, the gist of why but you know when, when you're learning it's like man they make it seem so effortless but in the moment you're just like i'm trying why am i failing and you know mm. that sort of thing but no that's that's very very cool uh one question too is you know of course with the programming and everything like that um his guitar sounds were always really unconventional there at the beginning mm. uh especially with pretty hate machine and, and broken and things like that did he ever share any of his tips and tricks on getting those mangled guitar sounds or did he keep it kind of conventional for getting a good clean signal yeah i don't remember a lot of talk about about the guitar sounds at the time so um so yeah i i don't, I don't remember discussing that way <clears throat> so as far as the oh, go, oh, ahead, go ahead joe go All ahead man okay as far as the uh recording techniques of of back then uh, for mm. CD, have we? Is it is it better now? Is it different now? Is it largely the same? Because I, you know, we're all vinyl has come back for its warmth and the pops and the crackles and the imperfections. So, it, does that translate to today's recording when you're when you know it probably won't ever be on a physical product? Is there is there a difference that you can hear or or? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely there's definitely a difference. Um, you know, I don't know whether you call it better or not. I think it depends on the sound you're going after. You know, I used to do projects for my recording classes when I, I haven't taught recording for a while, but I used to do projects for the recording classes, and uh, we would record digitally, and then we would record on on analog tape, and you know, try to push the levels a little bit, and then listen to the difference, and. Um, and yeah, it, it definitely sounds different. You know, uh, there are limitations to an analog medium like that. And I don't know, there are a lot of beliefs, you know, a lot of people have opinions about, you know, whether digital is good or whether it sucks and whether, you know, analog tape is great or whether vinyl is so much superior to CDs and things like that. And, you know, a lot of that stuff, I think it's just, it's kind of like religion to people, you know, they, <laughs> They just matter sort of preference, believe, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they just sort of believe something because they want to believe it. They were taught um, that way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but but I think the uh, you know I mean the 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 digital technology they have is you know definitely uh, superior. I think you know I mean I grew up listening to vinyl, for example, and 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 I know all about the limitations of that and what a what a worn out record sounds like and what a warped record sounds like and what all those crackles sound like and. And, and the limits of that and uh, and you know definitely the the digital technology is better but again it's it's all how you use it and if you're you know if you're looking for that sort of vintage sound um, you know I just uh, I was doing some a little bit of test recording on one of my homemade instruments and I was playing through an old uh, an old supro tube guitar amp from uh, from the 50s it's like a 1954 
amp and you know it definitely sounds sounds different than you know a lot of the a lot of the modern gear but there's something you know there's something special about it it, it has that it has that kind of uh, just kind of that that quality that, that 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 you don't get with a lot of the more modern gear we've mm -hmm. we've um kind of switched music for convenience sake we can put it on our device or we can mm. subscribe to it you know and i i just i just wondered if um you know, sacrificing it. I guess it depends on the artist. You know, if we've sacrificed for convenience. Uh, last week we talked about a record that had a retro feel on purpose at times. A guy doing some Elvis tunes, and mm. we kind of like called him out a couple times. I feel like, but uh, you'll when we get to the challenge, uh, you'll kind of pick up on how we talk about music. And you know, Paul is like definitely the production side. We listen to lyrics and yeah. we try to, we try to keep up with him when it comes to talking lingo about like, mm -hmm. you know, kick drums with compression and stuff like that with nice edges and everything, but mm -hmm. we just can't do it. I might, mm -hmm. I might use that line though. But when I put on the headphones, I, it's something really unique when you have a, a really, um, it's almost like an, a, a classical song when you listen to a nine inch nail song because of the, the layers and everything that's going on and the instrumentation. And, and I was listening in the car, which is obviously not the best way to listen to music. If you're going for any sort of audio quality or, you know, um, and I have a decent stereo, but I, I found myself wanting to grab my headphones and really mm -hmm. get immersed into that, you know, and, and pick around and, and see what's going on. Oh, I agree. Them, I so, agree 100% yeah. with that. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the reasons I played the CDs, you know, the, I mean, there's, you know, talk about MP3s and whether, whether that kind of compressed audio, you know, is, is bad or whether it's not noticeable and probably a lot of people don't really notice it. But, um, but, you know, when I get my, you know, more expensive pair of headphones out and, and I listen to a CD rather than just, you know, stuff from iTunes, um, you can hear the the details and things pop out, especially when you you've got the good headphones on and you turn it up a little bit and you you hear all those little subtle sounds. And that was one of the things that was um, interesting to me today, listening to the CDs. Is just all these little tiny things. Sometimes they're really quiet things. It's just a little high pitched sort of grindy sound happening in in the right channel. You and and it just uh, sort of syncopates with the other rhythm. You get the syncopation with the other the other rhythms and and uh, you know those little subtleties that that you just might miss. You know if you're not listening on on a, a good system. Um, and so yeah, it it makes a difference. And I I think on those things because I that reminds me of watching him online and he was like hitting something with a hammer and they would record it mm. and then he hit it with a hammer, but have a cloth over it. and kind of comes down to the artist. Trent is obviously a very smart man and in touch with, you know, the digital trends and all that stuff. So he's very aware that you know, it's going to get compressed and it's going to get listened to on, on some crappy speakers on your laptop. Mm. But so then does he choose to just like, you know, cut corners or still do it for the art of it? And, that's one reason I really love him is you can tell that he puts all that stuff into it. And if you do get all the right equipment and, and a clean file, you can hear all of those things. And um, one interview I saw for the social network was when they were doing that soundtrack, there's a piano piece that happens the beginning, the middle and the end mm. recorded the piano. And then they recorded the piano like covered. Then they recorded the piano from the other room. And it was like Trent was saying he was trying to show Mark Zuckerberg getting further and further away from humanity. Mm. So it wasn't just like a piano piece that had all this depth to it and it did service to the film. And so are you, 
I know you only had a limited experience on the early on, but are you surprised that he's continued to be that way where he's such a meticulous artist? Well, I'm not surprised. I mean, if you just listen to Pretty Hate Machine and just listen to those details that he was doing back then, and that was his, his first, you know, his first uh, album that came out, um, you know, it's obvious that, that uh, you know, there's been a lot of really, uh, a lot of care that's really gone into it. And so, uh, yeah, I think, I think when you, I mean, I, I understand that because, you know, as a creative artist myself, I'm really focused on those kinds of subtleties and, and details as best I can. And, uh, and I think, you know, I think for some people, that's just part of your personality. You know, if you, if you, if you, if you listen a certain way and then you hear something that's sloppy or something that's not working out, uh, it bugs you, you know? And so you're, you're kind of compelled to, to really try to get it just right. And I think, uh, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's obvious that, that Trent, you know, has that approach. That's right. And, you know, one question I wanted to ask too, how have you followed him and his journey all the way to present day, or did you kind of fall off after a certain album or anything like that? Or do you continue to, to listen to current works from him? Um, well, yeah, you know, I listen in, I, I mean, I listen to music in, in kind of a, an odd way, I suppose, you know, when you, when you're doing it professionally and when you're, uh, I don't know, I, I kind of have a lot of eclectic tastes and I'm, uh, I think, you know, the more you do music professionally and the more you teach it, the more you're around it all day, sometimes you don't want to sit home. Like when I was young, you know, I would just come home and first thing I would do would be put on the stereo and I would play some, play some albums, you know, I'd put on the headphones and do some really deep listening and, and I was just immersed in it all the time. But, you know, when you're doing it as a profession all day long, sometimes you just want to come home and just, uh, just uh, relax and do something else for a while, you know? Um, so I don't True. think I, yeah, yeah. So I don't think I listen the way I used to listen. Um, and so well, as I was listening, I don't have, I don't have all the, all the albums. Um, and I, I did kind of fall off after a while, you know, I, I really played the first one to death and then I played the second one a lot. And, you know, I realized listening to the, the, the third and the fourth one that, uh, you know, I hadn't really listened to those so deeply, uh, you know, uh, uh, and it's, it's just, I was hearing things that I thought, oh, I should listen to this stuff more because I, I don't remember that. And, uh, and, and the, the more recent stuff, you know, I, I've heard some of it, but, but I haven't, uh, I haven't really listened to it as, as much as I should, or, you know, so yeah, I've fallen mm -hmm. off and, 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 you know, I listen to jazz. I've been playing a lot of like lap steel and homemade instruments. And so I, you know, I, I get influenced by that. I, I picked up an old, an old banjo someplace and fixed it up. And so I've been listening to some banjo music. And so there's so much, you know, there's so much out there to, to focus on. So yeah, yeah I'm kind of all over cool. the place. <laughs> cool. Now, are you incorporating these instruments into your electronic works as well? Or are you just kind of taking an organic approach with those at this time? Um, well, yeah, I have, um, and I'm planning to do to do more of that. I uh, I did a, a five channel uh, computer music piece that that I, I just submitted it to a, a, a music festival recently, um, but it was all made with lap steel uh, sounds. I had this I have this old lap steel that used to belong to my dad, and it's like a 1941 Epiphone lap steel, and and uh, it's a really cool instrument and. And I had it in my possession for many years, and I never, 
I never did anything with it because the pickup needed to be rewound. And finally, I got it fixed. And then I thought, oh, this is a really cool instrument. And so, um, so yeah, I, I made uh, I made a, a piece out of that. And I did a lot of improvisation with a bunch of effects on it. And there's like different guitar sounds coming out of each of the speakers. And and uh, yeah, so I've, I've been doing a lot of that. And I've also been performing a lot. So the last few years, I haven't been doing as much just like pre-recorded music. I've been going on stage with my with my guitars and you know, playing with, uh, imp improvising with, uh, with people. And uh, so, yeah, I'm definitely incorporating it into my work. Very cool. One thing you said a minute ago, that just piqued my curiosity saying when you were younger, you would go home and pop on the stereo. What was, what was catching your ears at that time? What were some of the, the big things that influenced you? Yeah. Um, well, I, you know, I've been through phases like everybody, I suppose. Mm -hmm. um, when I was a teenager, you know, it was all the sort of the prog rock stuff. You know, I was a, I was a super huge uh, Yes fan, uh, Rush, uh, you know, King Crimson and Emerson, Lake and Palmer. Oh, look at that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Big so, uh, yeah, yeah. So, so I, I was really, really into all that stuff. And I guess that that kind of music is really what got me where I am today, I think, because, you know, it wasn't just like, guitar and bass and drums it was it was uh thinking about the music orchestrally and 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 uh you know different kinds of sound effects and different uses of the synthesizers and things like that and um and uh, influence obvious influence from classical music and so so that got me wanting to uh to really understand music more deeply and to be able to create music more deeply and that that led me to uh, studying composition, you know, in, in college and going to grad school and, and uh, you know, down this road that I've traveled. That's great. That's awesome. And, you know, it's something that, you know, I've always would love to do someday is to, to teach and, and be on, you know, a level where, you know, creativity is involved in that teaching process. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, one, one can aspire <laughs> for, mm -hmm. for another day, but, uh, yeah. Any other questions, gentlemen? I had a silly question. Uh oh. Yeah. <laughs> I was just, you were talking about, uh, you know, learning. I don't remember exactly what you said now. <laughs> it was a while ago, but you're talking about like miking the drums or getting different sounds out of the drums. I was just going to ask if he taught you how to do the, uh, the Phil Collins uh, gated reverb oh. snare. <laughs> I'm sure he talked about that. And in fact, I was listening to the snare sounds on Pretty Hate Machine today, and there's definitely some of that stuff going on there. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, for for sure. Yeah, yeah. They were using uh, they were using the old uh, Lexicon digital reverb system that was uh, like everywhere back then, and and uh, and definitely, definitely, he talked about gated snare drum, and and that was probably when I first learned how to do that. And, yeah. and of course, in the, that was the '80s, and and everybody yeah. everybody yeah. was doing that kind of that kind of thing. So for sure, he was he was talking about that. <laughs> yeah. Nice. <laughs> Is there anybody doing things now that you, in your opinion, um, not necessarily is like Trent, or you know, is there anybody on that level that you hear musically today that's that's making music? Yeah, I'm probably the wrong person to ask that question, just because. I don't know. You know, it's it's hard. I think sometimes to just discover music now. It's it's different. Uh, when I was young, yeah. everything There's was so on much. the radio. Everything sure. was like yeah. you know there was like the cool radio station in Cleveland, and everybody listened to it. And 
and uh, there was, you know, everybody knew the same music. And nowadays, if I ask my students, you know, what are you listening to? Sometimes I'll, I'll just do that. I'll say, you know, recommend something that I should, I should listen to. And everybody's listening to something different. And, uh, and so, I don't know, it's, it's hard to really keep up and, um, and it's hard to really sort of figure out what's, what's current. And so, I don't know, I, I'm a bad person to ask about what people are doing right now. You know, I, I still discover older stuff and, you know, I've, I've been into guitar a lot lately. So I've been just listening to like guitar jazz and, and, uh, you know, I, I, there's a lot of music I like, but not much of it's being made like right now. <laughs> yeah. Joe, sure. I, I had it written down in my notes, actually, because I was going to tell this group, to, since we're talking about Trent, Phineas, the brother of Billie Eilish, mm-hmm. who is, you know, does a lot of production for a lot of people. I just watched this like 25 minute video with him and he breaks down his production on various songs. And so much stuff is, you know, literal real world samples that he's manipulated it's mm. very like Trent vibe to him as his approach to making sounds. So <clears throat> you guys should Google that, you know, Phineas breaking down his or breaking down his songs. And there's some really interesting techniques in there. Things that, that Mike, Michael and Paul will understand way more than we will, but it's still cool. <laughs> cool. Yeah, and they recorded most of that in the bedroom, didn't they? At their home? Yeah. At least the original stuff. So that's even more impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. like bad guy, there's like, he recorded the sound that like a the crosswalk s- signal makes in mm. Australia, and that's mm-hmm. like I think that's part of the percussion that he ended up using. And, but and there's they, like different kind of stuff. They they were SoundCloud artists at first, right? I mean, that's that's one thing that uh, as Mike was talking, you know, it's it's hard to keep up on who's famous because you have people who legitimately came from YouTube and right. had no no backing, had no maybe even had no professional training um with anything they were doing and put their music out there and somehow it got picked up it went viral and and here we are so yeah it is it's hard i I teach middle school and high school and it's like kids can you know and i understand i'm going to have a a gap there generationally between what i like and what they like but then they'll follow up with oh they were a youtuber and you're like really okay so (laughs) it's out there and it's free i would have loved it at their age uh it I'm I'm glad it's not on the internet for all of the world to hear my 16 year old musician self, but uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, and that's I mean, one too. I've got some old I've got some old music I don't want people to hear. <laughs> for sure, I got a whole box of cassettes that yeah. my daughter wanted to listen to the other day, and she kind of quickly walked out of the room. But that's a different story. But uh, the one thing you said too uh, that you don't don't hear a lot these days is shopping for a label. I mean, of course, labels mm. will still exist, but not to the extent, and you don't have to rely on them nearly as heavily as uh, you know Trent needed to back back then to to get where he's at now. Yeah, definitely. And the industry, you know, doesn't have the kind of money to throw around that it used to. And and so it used to be a, a group would get support from a big label, and they spend a lot of time in a big studio doing all that stuff. And nowadays, you know, it's so much more sort of DIY stuff because you can do it. But also now you you sort of have to do it because they're just you know people aren't making money selling all these CDs anymore, right? And yeah. and so the mm-hmm. the industry's changed a lot because of the technology and the way people access it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Which brings me to my next question. Of course, I mentioned you know your composition works, and we've talked a little bit about it too. And your channels are through academia. You know, mm-hmm. there's certain organizations that you submit your pieces to as well. Do you ever 
submit your works outside of um, those organizations and have performances from, say, uh, an ensemble of some sort that yeah, I mean, have you first off have you composed for conventional instruments like strings and and mm. whatnot and had your pieces performed independently say like from a, a local organization that that does have performers versus something on a on a college level or a complete composition organization level yeah um well i used to compose a lot for instruments and now that i've been playing and building instruments uh, you know i'm kind of getting back into that um for years and years, I was just doing stuff on my computer, and and uh, and yeah, there are a lot of opportunities for that through through the academic world and the academic composers. A lot of the festivals that I go to uh, are, you know, predominantly attended by by academic people, um, and so that still is sort of primarily the world I live in. Um, I'm very interested in in breaking out of that you know there there are places where you can do that more successfully you know if you're living in new york city um there are a lot of people making music that that aren't academics and there are a lot of venues where people are really interested in in uh you know uh not just beethoven for example you know if you're if you're going to go out to uh, some kind of an art music concert um there are audiences for that you know in a, in a place like new york city in a in a place like Muncie, Indiana. It's uh, it's a little, little more challenging, mm -hmm. um, but uh, but yeah, I, I definitely see myself in the in the in the near future, uh, maybe shifting and getting back into some more instrumental music and and trying to uh, get my music played by by people who aren't just living in that academic world. But uh, but but more recently, I've mostly been in that academic world. Very cool. Yeah, you know for for the rest of the gentlemen here and even the listeners in, in my time when I was at college with, with uh, Michael Pounds here, we had a, a program that he's a part of the music technology program where, you know, students could compose music and it would not be your conventional, you know, piece with uh, strings or arrangements that with guitars or anything like that. You know, you could use various sounds and manipulate them and really warp and mangle them and create gestures out of them and then add and embellish. And uh, you could use more than just two stereo channels to perform them even. So uh, we would have the opportunity to go into a nice venue and do this surround sound mix of your audio and create kind of a, a general experience for the listener in their space. And the nice thing is, is it's kind of improvisatory as well, not, not just fixed audio that's playing only. You're you moving the faders and you uh, kind of manipulating the sound there in real time would change from that performance to the next place and things like that. So mm. it did have a little bit of an organic mm -hmm. along with the, the digital age too. So that was always really fascinating to me. And I really enjoyed that experience. You know, once you get out into the real world, it's hard to jump in, back into that unless you are, you know, in, you know, your network in more frequently, essentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. All right. Mr. Pounds, is there anything that we missed that you think would be pertinent to any Trent fan that you could fill us in on? The early days. Yeah. I went to Arby's and ate lunch with him. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> Is he a curly fry guy? Or a... <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. It's been a long time. Been a long time. Certainly. 
Gotcha. It's it's okay. pretty funny the, the trivia that you always try to pick up from somebody who had a, a brush with somebody like this. <laughs> right. right. I think T Bags had a brush with with Trent, correct? Yeah, I've met him a couple of times. One time was a very uh stalker fan moment. I was in <laughs> I was in like Louisville or something and found the hotel he was at and it was Oh my gosh. Just one I know. <laughs> Great start. Great yeah, start. Yeah, we're already actively searching for the artist's hotel here in Charlotte. But um, I, he was going down some stairs with his security, and and I went down there too, and was promptly grabbed by them. Uh, I think probably the, the speed I was coming at them. So, uh, but then he kind of waved him, waved me through, and I got to talk to him for a second, and then. Uh, one story that still makes my wife laugh to this day is we were in New Orleans uh, on our honeymoon, and we were, we were sitting there eating eating lunch at just there was a place called Maspero's, and it's just you would think it'd be somewhere no celebrity to go because it's right in the middle of the touristy part. Mm. But Trent walks in with his crew, and um, she said that my face looked like I'd seen a ghost, and like everything stopped. <laughs> And then whether you can go over there, <laughs> so, and I ended up having that fanboy moment of like, for when I when I did pass by there, and I I said, hey, I'm looking forward to the new album, and he said, so am I. <laughs> and, uh, it kind of flustered me, so I was like, I'm on my honeymoon, and Jen's like, my wife was like, he didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> like that Chris Farley moment. Remember that time when you made Pretty Hate Machine? <laughs> you know tony since we've talked a little bit about academics and and you know you tying in the fact that you were running at trent at a rate of speed that sounds like a story problem waiting to happen you know, <laughs> calculate the velocity of which tony was approaching trent resner <laughs> with a downwind of three three miles an hour <laughs> there's probably some doppler effect going on there right? <laughs> yeah, exactly wait tony's not dealing with a felony right now <laughs> so that's good i know yeah i did think service that's okay um but in fairness, honestly, I've been around music all my life in some ways. I've had friends that were in music, Paul, and uh, a guy that's now a country artist. And I've always wanted to do music, and I just don't really have it in me. It's not a natural thing, and I certainly can't sing. I've recorded myself, and well, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I've always tried to stay around it being in the design world, like designing covers. And Paul and I have done some graphics together. and. Mm-hmm. But it's, I've always had this deep appreciation for something that is, almost seems like superhero-ish to me, that these things can be made and then these songs live on past you, Pink Floyd being one of my favorite bands. And I just can't believe how you can just pop on one of those CDs from the 70s and it's just still as great today and makes as much sense. So yeah, yeah so when I see someone that has made something and, and Trent being the one-man band of this like computer nerdy engineering weird this way it was like of course i was going to run at him that's what i'm trying to get at <laughs> <laughs> relatable yeah. yeah for sure so one question uh mike for for listeners who may be pursuing uh the path of music engineering or you know wanting to learn learn more what would they want to do uh to get in touch with you know either more or less what would they need to do to get their foot in the door to a, a music program at ball state these days what's the current requirement yeah, well, you know, I think to study in our program, you you do have to be a musician. You know, there there's al- always been that. Um, uh, so, 
you know, they do have to be able to read music and play instruments and things like that. And, and that, you know, that may seem obvious, but it's, it's, uh, there are a lot of people who really want to get into the technology of recording and don't have that background in, in musicianship. And so, um, uh, and a lot of guitar players, you know, I, I played in bands and, and, you know, we never read music when we were doing that. There are a lot of guitar players who, who don't really read music and, uh, or they just read tablature or something like that. And so, um, you know, you really need to work on your musicianship and and uh, and sort of get that more traditional understanding so that you can take all those music theory classes and things like that. Um, so so that's you know definitely important. But uh, but you know anybody who's interested is is definitely you know welcome to to contact me if you go on the Ball State's uh, music webpage, you know, there's all the information about the, the different faculty and their, their roles and the contact information. And, uh, and I, I, I visit with a lot of prospective students and, and give them tours of our studios, which are excellent facilities, by the way. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, and uh, uh, you know, so, so they can always contact me and, and I'd be happy to talk with them about it. Very good. And I can attest that, you know, being the guitar player that didn't read a note of sheet music, Music. I got in on a probationary level and spent that first semester learning, and uh, it was you know, a very valuable experience. And I you know, take cherish every bit of it. You know, learning voicings, various uh, ways chords work together, and, and whatnot. And you know, even when I'm doing something that's out of the, the norm of composition, if I'm designing for somebody, and I try to make sure that pitch is relevant to. Uh, particular sound that might be going on in say like a film scene or uh, some sort of dialogue so it doesn't seem so disjunct the way or intentionally disjunct another way to, to create a contrast where necessary as well all of it but stems from from, from that experience yeah yeah hey michael are you is your program did you guys benefit from the david letterman money that went into the school did that help uh build your program up well, actually, you know, there is a Letterman building on campus that's for our uh, telecommunications department. Right. And our music building was built uh, just before that building was built. And so um, okay. there are there are some similarities in the studios because because the some of the same people, you know, were working on both projects. Um, but but definitely, uh, definitely our, our building came first. And so the, the Letterman money funding the. The, the TCOM stuff happened later. Uh, I was thinking maybe just similar art. Maybe it would bleed yeah. over and help <laughs> you out too. That would be cool. And I was there at the time when that transition happened. We used to have to go all the way over by the stadium. There's a little shack uh, mm -hmm. next to the football stadium, and, and we would take our classes there. And, um, you know, sometimes it was super cold. I remember that because, you know, mm -hmm. the heat wasn't always the best, but uh, it was a lot of fun. Then we got that new building right there on campus, and it was like, oh, yeah, you know, all the all the toys and amenities. And mm -hmm. it was soundproof, too, so you can go in and shout in a room and nobody could hear you and that kind of stuff. So mm -hmm. if you fail to test, you can get your frustrations out like a Tasmanian devil and move on. I have fond memories of that old building because I was a student at Ball State too. I did a master's degree there, uh, and uh, and so I spent a lot of time in that old building. I used to be the graduate assistant in that old building. Nice. So, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That was a long time ago. Oh yeah. Any last questions? Are we ready for the challenge? Let's do it. Challenge, Let's yeah. Do it. Tonight's challenge is sponsored by Small Giant Designs, a uniquely creative all-in-one design and marketing agency offering print, web, video, and marketing. Visit smallgiantdesigns.com to get started.
And I don't know if you've uh, if you know any of the folks there, but uh, they're pretty good people. They know what they're doing. <laughs> I would definitely trust all of my stuff with Small Giant Designs. Nice. <laughs> I hear that Small Giant Designs did work for uh, Low Cash, the uh, country western group that's yeah. blazing the charts, right? Yeah, several uh, number ones and um, lots of collaborations with big names, so. Yeah, it's kind of cool seeing artwork up on Times Square and Jimmy Kimmel holding it up and that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, if you want artwork and design work and web design by the same people that do work for uh, Grammy-nominated artists, go to Small Giant Designs. Okay, tonight's challenge, and this was brutal for Tony, is to yeah. pick only three. <laughs> yeah. Only three favorite songs. You know when they say like, what's you that? Can't pick, you know when they say you can't pick your favorite kid or whatever. Yeah, you could pick a favorite kid easier than you could pick your favorite Nine Inch Nails song. I think you're <laughs> right because right now my daughter has a 4.0 in college, my son doesn't, so uh, it would be <laughs> right now for me. <laughs> rooting for the underdog here. <laughs> no, I'm rooting for him too. Yeah, but is she a TCOM major or I mean Clay's degree has to be way harder or something, right? I mean. There's got there's got to be a problem. We're not. She's gonna have a four zero and done in three years. <laughs> so mm. yeah, she's insane. She works nonstop. Very proud of her. Man. Yeah, well, I love both your kids, and they're both very intelligent. So I don't want to take anything away from either one of them. That's yeah. right. Well, he's a beast too. It's easier to pick a favorite Deshaun kid than. Well, there's only two. So I mean, I don't know. Are we gonna go round table? Sure. All right, let's do it. Let's let the guest go first, and uh, Mr. Pounds will pick his first of his favorite three Nine Inch Nails songs. Yeah, all right. Well, I picked up Pretty Hate Machine, and I listened to the first track, and I said, well, that's my number one. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was like, you know, this first album was, uh, was like I said, I really listened, listened to that very intently, and it was at, uh, at a you know, really transitional time in my life when I was listening to that. And so this first album really connected with me, and and so I'm, you know, I'm drawing a lot from that first one. So so head like a hole uh, is the first one, and 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 that was you know one of the first songs that I ever heard, and uh, I think it still works for me. Awesome. I'd be Great. curious. I don't know if you've got the remastered version or not, but I'd be curious to get your take on listening to the remastered versus the original as well. I, yeah, I, I don't. Both. I don't have the remastered one. I've got the one that I bought back then. You know, so in the long box right <laughs> yeah. all right mr rife uh i'm not going to explain any of the science behind how i picked these except they're chronological mine was from pretty hate machine as well first one a tune called terrible lie yes mm -hmm. i yeah. love the way it hits i love the synth i love the rhythm i love it all so good, good money um <clears throat> well i guess i can go chronological too um Pretty Hate Machine, you know, when you listen to that, you put that on, it's kind of like going home. It just feels good. It's comfortable, but I didn't pick anything off of that. Hmm. I love it as a whole, but I, for as far as tunes that I go back to over and over again, um, I went to, had to jump over to Broken for my first track and one of the song called Last. Yeah. Dang you, Monday. <laughs> Don't wait, I had to get... 
the guitars on that song are just unreal. So big and man, hits you right in the face. I'm taking a picture so you don't think I'm lying. <laughs> yeah. If that's not like on your treadmill playlist, then you're not doing it right. <laughs> that's right. It's good taste. Right. So I'm going to go next okay. because we're very similar. So <laughs> you guys are probably going to hate me, but I did not fall in love with Pretty Hate Machine when it came out. I, I don't know if I wasn't ready for it or what. I mean, it sounded okay, and I listened to it a few times, but I didn't fall in love. And then when Broken came out, I was totally in love, and I'm going to hold it up. But like, even the packaging with the nine and the or the N, and mm-hmm. then you got the eye on the the CD itself, and then you got this cool little mini disc that came in it, and all that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that the whole package, everything was brilliant. Um, and I wavered a little bit because I loved Wish as well, but I chose last, same as Mr. Mundy, and yeah, for the same reason. Fantastic. Yep. JPP. Well, thankfully, I have a little bit of knowledge of that album because I picked last as well, but I'm going to go ahead and shuffle that over to the side <laughs> because Monday pretty much stole my words verbatim. <laughs> class, you son of a... Anyway, uh, but I'll, I will choose happiness and slavery for mm-hmm. the fact that also heavy, intense, uh, really has a cool drum breakdown. And at the time when I was listening to it, I was trying to determine the rhythm and the meter of it. It just felt so off, but it felt so right at the same time. And uh, just great, great song to put on repeat. And to Mike's point earlier, you were talking about listening to the imperfections of vinyl. I listened to it on cassette so much back then that when I hear the song, I expect to hear the spots where the tape would warble from yeah. wearing it out. I've got a couple songs like that too. Every time, even when I hear it today, I expect a little <laughs> Yep. <laughs> exactly. That's as technical as Monday gets. That's the yep, Tim Allen. Again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We have to finish with tea bags. So go ahead. All right. So my preface here is that I did not pick anything off of um, The Fragile, which is my favorite album. But I see that as like one big piece. So it was impossible for me. So I had to throw that out. Uh, <laughs> I can see, see Broken as the soundtrack to the to the movie Broken that was just kind of like grassroots put out there that was very, very disturbing. So if you haven't seen it, it's now on YouTube. Oh, nice. And then uh, try to sleep. Right. So, but I was going to – so I, I, had to, I had to give myself some rules, and I listen to Nine Shells every day. And different songs. So I just picked songs that really have some sort of meaning. So um, Sanctified, I almost went with Head Like a Hole, but Sanctified was the first time that I had really listened to coming off of like Metallica and Megadeth and all those types of things, giving something a chance that was kind of synthy poppy. And then hearing that they had there was a suicide letter in the background of Sanctified that was sampled from a movie. And that's when I started really connecting that this guy was able to merge all of those things, you know, this like kind of darkness and kind of poppy and kind of whatever, and had paid attention to layers. So sanctified was my first choice on this list. Very good song. Yes. And I just, I want to let you all know, I'm writing these all down and we're going to create a playlist when this is over awesome. for us all to listen to. I think it will be really cool. We should okay. put this, put it on Spotify and uh, yep. share it with the fans. Yep. Yeah. And I'll do it on, uh, fan. on iTunes as well. So, we probably should have done that before now, but <laughs> that's a good start. There's again, true, true, our true. challenges. We should do challenge playlists more often. I agree. Mm-hmm. Okay. Michael, round two. I'm going to stick with Pretty Hate Machine and say down in it. Oh. I just really like the 
like the really syncopated rhythms and just the way the way the sounds are are produced and just the sound of it the rhythms of it really powerful drum sounds thumping away mm -hmm. and yeah, you, you can't die for having a you know heavy intense tune that still successfully employs rain rain go away come again some other <laughs> that's true <laughs> el ray i'm gonna go to downward spiral and i'm gonna uh, throw march of the pigs out there yes Be because i like a song like terrible lie that hits and is really i guess the word is consistent you know i mean it, it's but i also if i'm going to listen to music that's in this style in this genre i also want something that's going to just jar me every once in a while. So I love the piano interludes. Um, you know, some of the, some of the, just the sounds and the noises and just the, just, it's really a spectacular song all the way around. So that's my number two. Nice. Metal and, in. Oh, sorry. JVP, go ahead. I was just going to say, I didn't pick anything from that album. I just wanted to throw that out there, but plus Adrian blue in his little moment in that album, it's yeah. something that, you know, I, I love listening to just because it's so, you know, that was outside of my boundary of guitar back then. And, but it, I will always remember hearing that for the first time and being like, what? Can you do that with guitar? <laughs> yeah. All right, Metalhead. Well, we're going to stay on Downward Spiral. <clears throat> and I love this song. I absolutely love this song. But one of the reasons I really love this song is because it might be the the coolest live performance of a song I've ever seen in my life, and that's Reptile. Mm. Good track, yeah. yeah the, the, it's you have, I mean, that you know that slow droning chug, and then when they did it live, they reinterpreted that, and it was just like this. It was the same sound, kind of, but on guitar, and it was just so heavy and just amazing. Yeah, yeah, great, great tune, great lyrics too. Mm -hmm. Last time uh, Tony and I saw Nine Inch Nails, we almost died in a tornado, right? <laughs> Remember, yeah. we went overhead. We were all watching on our phones. This thing was going around us. We were in the pavilion, so we didn't care. So let's just roll. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, that's how I want to go out anyway. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> With a smile on your face. Yeah. All right. My next pick is Piggy. And uh, oh, I just, okay. I could sing along with it terribly, obviously. <laughs> but what I really love is that underlying little bass that, yeah. that kind of cruises through the whole song. And I know it's so, it's a very subdued song. Um, there's a little bit of, you know, melody there. And I don't know. I just, I love singing with it. And, uh, and that groove gets me every time. You should hear that one on, they remastered it in 5.1, I think. And uh, there's some crazy, like, ghost noises floating around. It's really well done. Cool. And, oh, you know, I forgot to say earlier, uh, inside of Broken, we were talking about, you know, mastering these albums and everything. It says, caution, not for use with mono devices. Yeah, <laughs> like, I always remember that. All yeah. the way back then. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. There's Definitely some good panning stuff going on in a lot of these uh, a lot of these mixes. I, I was really paying attention to that today when I was listening. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, Michael, you you mentioned Rush. Sorry, guys, just for yeah. a moment. But um, <laughs> if, <laughs> if you listen, I know. I'm, I swear, just this is the drink. only time. Everybody, drink. Damn it. <laughs> um, so if you listen to YYZ with headphones on, yeah. when he starts off with the triangle and he does the, um, it basically it's 
Morse code for the Morse airport. Code, yeah. Yeah, 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 but it goes back and forth from mm. your headphones from right to left. It's really cool um, if you listen. Like, you know, if you listen on the car, like Joe said, you don't really get that, but mm. you know, on a headset, you really get it. It's cool. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> All right, JPP. Sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Good. You're good. <laughs> I, uh, I'm, I'm going to skip uh, ahead quite a bit and uh, go off the album Slip and choose Head Down. Yes. Great tune. And a little backstory. When um, it was actually, it was about 10 years ago, 2009, I, I got a hold of a, a nice synth used that had a really cool vocoder on it and uh, regrettably don't have it anymore. But um, I told Tony, hey, I got a new toy. And he's like, well, you, you know, my birthday's coming up. You better get a, a cool tune going for me. And that was back when Trent had all of the stems on a site that you could download and do remixes yourself. Ooh. So I did a remix of uh, Head Down. Oh, G, uh, you know, and sent those over to, to Tony and made his, so he says he's a good liar, but uh, I'll, they're on the web archives. I'm going to have to uh, find the links to those and we'll put those in the show notes too if people want to listen to them. Yeah. Yeah. That was a really good uh, moment for me to have my friend that I love his music remixing Nine Inch Nails. That was cool. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of fun for me too. Excuse yeah. to play with toys. <laughs> Great choice, Paul. Feedbacks, what do you have for number two? Uh, well, first, uh, I'm not good at music, like I said earlier, but I did want to tell Michael that I, I'm really good at panning. I can turn that <laughs> knob. Excellent. <laughs> um, His nickname is The Panner. <laughs> uh, so I went with a song that's on no album called Now I'm Nothing, and it was kind of a uh, made for introing their live performance, and it never really had a studio version that we're aware of. And uh, he would crawl out covered in, you know, cornstarch and all kinds of stuff and wrapped around microphone cords and things like that. And that song from the early 80s has evolved and among fans. And I love the like organic feel and the growth that it's taken. And when he was doing his quote unquote last tour, when he was going to be out of the industry forever, he opened uh, every concert with the now and nothing, how he used to start back in the back in the day and it mm -hmm. sounds really good still to this day but it's full of a lot of emotion it's gritty and it's not on an album so it's kind of like a fan favorite nice good choice thank you awesome that gets us through two rounds and only one repeat so that's good <laughs> um third round mr pounds what do you have i'm gonna say closer mm -hmm. and and one of the reasons one of the reasons I'm going to say that is because back when I was uh, doing a lot of uh, teaching of the recording classes, we used to uh, we used to have a class recording project, and uh, the students got to choose by popular vote which song they wanted to record, and uh, and that was the that was the song one semester, and uh, <laughs> and uh, we 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 came up with a sort of a creative solution to. Uh, to the lyrics, <laughs> yeah. And uh, we decided to record a a funky version of it. I remember that. Uh, yeah, were, were you there? Uh, it was the semester before me. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah. so the so the the lyrics were, "I want to funk you," <laughs> and uh, and it was a. Uh, it was a it was a very fun project, and so uh, so I have very fond memories of of that song. Not just listening to it, uh, you know, listening to it is a it's a it's a very cool song, but also I've got sort of special attachment to that one. Do you I have a copy of that version? 
Oh, I probably do. I've got like all these old, I've got all these old digital tapes, you know, sitting in cardboard boxes in my messy office. Probably if I, if I dug around, the, the students at the end of the semester always had to mix their own mixes. And, mm-hmm. and so I've probably got a whole bunch of uh, different student mixes of that song. <laughs> yeah. I remember that having some funky guitar and complete horn section, the whole nine. It was yeah. really, really impressive. Um, <laughs> To come full circle a little bit, I, I want if you haven't seen it yet, if you go to our Facebook page, um, I posted Peter Murphy and Trent Reznor doing night clubbing, and uh, mm. which kind of inspired Closer. So oh. that's worth checking out. Yeah, and you can't go wrong with that song. No, no. even people who don't love Nine Inch Nails love that song. So mm-hmm. uh, you, can Tony Murphy. you can go wrong with it because you can sit next to drunk college girls at a concert, <laughs> or Buck Cherry could cover it. That would do it. <laughs> a fan favorite for Tony. Tony, by the way, do you remember when we were at uh, the auditorium in Muncie when when he toured that album and he cut the set short because he was sick and didn't play closer? The crowd was yeah. furious. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember quite well. Yep. I want my seven bucks back. Or whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, Joe. What do you have for your second choice? Well, for my uh, my next choice, which is my third choice, <laughs> don't yes, throw me off because I'm looking at my notes and I was <laughs> I was looking at three and you said two. That's okay. Uh, we've spent a lot of time talking about the uh, recording, the production. Of course, that was the theme of the show. We could probably spend a whole other evening just talking about the poetry, the the literary quality of of Trent Reznor's lyrics, and so that's kind of where I went with my third pick. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the track is zero sum. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I love that line about the split second of a car crash. I haven't mm-hmm. been in a lot of car crashes, but man, that is a, a feeling that you can't replicate except in a nine inch nail song, I think. And, mm-hmm. and when he mentions it, it's one of those lyrics that I think, um, if you've ever tried to write something, you know, as a writer, you, you, you pick up these little phrases from people and you think, God, that is so easy. That is such a, you know, but at the same time, it's not, it's not attainable. So I, I love the, the lyrics in this track. Um, and uh, that's, that's what made, made it for me. So. Like awesome. the Hemingway of lyrics, simple, yeah. yet very effective. Exactly. Yeah. Great song. Yeah. Great choice. Metalhead. Oh, for my uh, final choice, I jumped to the with teeth album. <clears throat> and a lot of cool stuff on that. Um, <clears throat> a lot of great grooves on that album. And one of my favorites is the hand that feeds. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean that, that groove on that song is just ridiculous. And uh, I really love his singing on that song. Um, you know, he says, he repeats, will you bite the hand that feeds you over and over and over. And he kind of starts, starts it almost speaking and then kind of builds and builds and builds until he's screaming it. And uh, it's really impactful. And I, I just, I love that song so much. And my favorite version of that song is the live in studio video that came with the, I don't even remember what they call it. It was the two sided CDs where it had like the audio on one side and video on the other. Yeah. The dual discs. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's it. Yep. Yeah. I love that video and that version of it is my favorite version. Was that the album, Tony, that 
he had potentially started working with Grant Morrison? Um, I don't know. No. That hesitation marks. No, no, I think it was that one. Yeah, he, they were going to plan this big production and put some video to it and everything, and he was going to work with Grant Morrison, which obviously Metalhead Monday knows. And, oh, yeah. Uh, and then that I've fell apart never heard again. that. I've never heard that. That would be interesting. Oh, that would have been, yeah, because Morrison is batshit crazy, so it's yeah. really good. <laughs> yeah, he grew up next to a nuclear site, and uh, his writing is, uh, well, well, that's for another it's, day, but yeah, he's amazing. If you ever want to get, if you're not a comic guy and you want to get into some comics that are very oh. heady, Grant Morrison's your guy. I think you're thinking of Year Zero, because I had a lot of... It was Year Zero, that's correct. That makes more sense, yeah. definitely, yeah. Yep, you're right. Yeah. Okay, so my choice was yes, La Mer, off mm. of the Fragile. And um, it's not just because it's French, but um, this is like a master class in building up to a crescendo. And uh, it was really cool because today Clay came back from college and he brought all of his great, you know, I've got terrible audio equipment at home. He's got really good stuff, so he hooked it up and my daughter was there in her very flamboyant friend was there and they wanted to hear like Megan the stallion and all that kind of stuff. And I said, uh, clay play La Mer. And he cranked it and it sounded so <laughs> great. That piano that builds and builds and we got this cool groove. I just love that song. Um, so that was my choice. Uh, my third choice was La Mer. Yeah. Very cool. I like, I like the snappy percussion that brings you into that beat. When, once yeah. The, yeah. Um, is it my turn? Oh, yeah. no, it goes yeah. to Paul. Okay. Do you finish? Foggy, let me just say, you son of a... You stole my answer. To you. <laughs> Quit cheating off me in class. Hey, no, I picked <laughs> La Mer too, but here's the thing. You get a twofer because I picked two for my last. It was La Mer and Into the Void. You cheated. Uh, that's what you did. No, I didn't because you technically they are the same song in some aspects. Okay. The piano part at the beginning of La Mer yeah. is that dun, 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 at the beginning of Into the Void. And the bass line is also tied into La Mer as well. So there's passages that employ the same notes and the same rhythms, but they're rearranged with uh, new instrumentation and reinterpreted. So he did, that, <laughs> yeah, he did that a few times on The Fragile, didn't he? I feel like there was uh, several... Uh, touches that kind of repeated here and there it's yeah very thematic it's certainly you know in industrial music as far as if you were to lump it into industrial music as a whole it's industrial music's the wall because it's such an epic album <laughs> you know it's definitely thematic in nature and has yeah. a lot of prog-like elements in that regard for sure and it's it's just very cool it, it tells a lot of a story with those passages and um i love the fact that it started to become a lot more organic than the previous releases. All right. Yeah. All right, tea bags. Can you do it? Can you pick just one more? Well, I had two. So. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> yeah. Well, also, let me just say that, like, I've been nice about this, but I am really pissed off that I even had to do this <laughs> because we're sitting here talking about all these albums, Year Zero and everything else, and they're all so good to me. And even the, the newest stuff, you know, today, I still, you know, that still makes my playlist every week. You know, he's still cranking out really good music. So it's really hard for me. It's not like they had like an era that I liked. I like everything. So um, I picked 
what I, if I had to call something a number three, it would be the becoming, but it would be both versions of, you know, off the downward spiral. And then that kind of weirdly electronic acoustic unplugged in the living room type one. Mm-hmm. So yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. That was fantastic. It is so good. Yeah. I love that. And so that, I mean, I'm that, that as a designer, like if we're, if I'm designing a logo, sometimes I have to like get in on an idea that I love, flush it out and then completely forget about it and try to do something different. And that's hard a lot of times. So it was really neat to see the song, not just be remixed where you just move something around, but like reinterpreted. Mm-hmm. Um, so I appreciated that. And then my runner up was and all that could have been off the still album. And I, I love, always love that song. It means a lot to me for certain reasons. And um, they recently started playing it live and it's taken, you know, 15 years for that to happen. But it's, it just reminded me how much I love that song. I'm going to yeah, let that go because <laughs> Monday and I doubled up. So that really only counted as one. So I'm going to let that go and that'll finish out a total of 18 songs. So this is going to be great, but I'm going to put it on you to make the playlist. Okay. <laughs> cool. Yeah, and I think I told Mike originally five, did you have uh, two others in consideration you want to th- throw out there? Oh yeah. I had, I had, a, I had a few here to choose from. Um, yeah, I, I put down Sanctified. Um, you know, that's, uh, you know, kind of, I don't know, it reminds me of stuff I was dealing with back then, you know, relationship issues and things like that. Um, sort of really, really took me back to that that time. Um, and another one that uh, I just kind of threw in there uh, because I was, as I said, some of these others, some of these other albums, I hadn't been listening to that much. I was listening to the fragile and I was listening to the last track on that, which is called Ripe. And, mm-hmm. and I was thinking, you know, this one's, this one's really got a lot of stuff going on. And it, out of a lot of these tracks I was listening to, that one is, I would say closer to the way I work with sound and the way I work with, with music and, and uh, just the, the the sort of complexity of it and and the layers of it and and so i think it's a pretty pretty sophisticated track that that's really interesting to listen to it's is is rather long but there's a lot of stuff going on there yeah it's a great choice for sure well awesome we really appreciate you coming on and chatting with us today mike it's been an honor and it's good to, to chat with you again as well i know you and i have kind of crossed paths occasionally in the industry mm-hmm. at meetups and such so um, it's always a pleasure for sure. I have one last question. Yeah. Uh, are any of your works published online where someone could go and, and give a listen? Uh, well, I've got, I've got a website out there that, that I haven't updated in years. So that's a little embarrassing. Um, <laughs> I've, I've got some stuff on SoundCloud. And so, uh, uh, if, if you want to check some of that stuff out, you could, you could go to my SoundCloud site. Perfect. Um, if yeah. you want to share me the link, after the show, you know, sometime we'll put it in the show notes too, so listeners can can go sure. in there and yeah. check it out too. That'd be great. Fantastic. Well, I appreciate you having me. It's been a lot of fun. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, it's great. cool. That, you know, we've talked so much about Nine Inch Nails over the past year and a half as we've done the show, and it's nice that we had somebody on here who's had an actual experience with Trent dealing with music. So, um, hmm. I thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, no problem. Next week, it looks like Joe Reif has the challenge, and we're going to be coming up with three songs that are tied together with a theme. So we need to get those songs ready. JPP is going to bring us the 
challenge inspired by Lester Bangs. Who is that band? That'll be brought to you by JPP. We're going to review the new album by Mark Lanigan, formerly of Screaming Trees. And before we head out of here, where can we find you guys, Joe? Instagram, Elrey4, E-L-R-E-Y, number four. Fantastic. Metalhead. Says I'm on Instagram, too, at Metalhead Monday. Super duper. JPP? You can find me on Instagram at Just Plain Paul. That's all one word compounded, Just Plain Paul. You can also find me at the Wanderings and Wool Gathering Facebook page. Yes. T-Bags. I'm hanging out with Paul on the Wanderings and Wool Gatherings Facebook page. Fantastic. And, and I'm uh, Mike, sorry, oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. Mike, do you have a, uh, a social media page that you would like visitors to come check, check you out with? Uh, well, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. Uh, I've got a Michael Pounds Composer uh, Facebook page. And uh, I think on M- Instagram, I'm probably MS Pounds 2. I think I'm MS Pounds 2 on Twitter as well. Okay, cool. We'll, we'll include those. Two. Yes, we'll include those in the show notes in case anybody wants to check that out. And we will follow you as well. Follow you, where can we find you? You can find me in my basement in the nerd. Oh, you mean online? Uh, <laughs> what else? You can find mean? me on Instagram and Twitter at Foggy's Pal. And you can find the show Wanderings and Wool Gathering on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Castbox, Google Play, and at rock985.com. So until next week, everyone, have a great week. See you then. Bye now.